The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity FM Radio. I am Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. And together, we discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And as today's show is an interactive discussion, if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. Facebook users, you can also connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to share your thoughts and comments. So today's show is all about a life worth living. In addiction, many of us get really down and even perhaps deeply depressed. But now that we're in recovery, how can we create a new life that repairs the body and soul and becomes truly satisfying? That's what we want to talk about today. And at first, we're going to talk about our own experiences of being down or being depressed, both in addiction and and in recovery. And then, as we always do in a recovery program, we move to the solution, which today will be the power of life. After the break, uh, Reverend Lyon and I will both share how we used the power of life to move our own selves from a place of being down or depressed to a life of vitality and purpose. So I think this is a really relevant discussion for today's world. It seems yes. like depression is just rampant. Yeah, that I, I was just looking at that, uh, specifically even doing some uh, searching on the Internet, because I spoke just recently about healing. And one of the uh, challenges that I personally have had and that I keep seeing over and over in ministry and in in my recovery circles is you know both depression and anxiety i think they're related and i read a, a new york times article um, on saturday that even used the word epidemic to talk about uh, how much impact depression and anxiety is having on our society but i know from personal experience that Um, I spent many years with what I would uh, call kind of a low-level, persistent depression, you know, mixed with anxiety, maybe some of both. 
um, to the point where, uh, you know, it, it was just the way the world was to me. That's how ingrained it is in my life. I, I didn't even realize at that time that there was an issue of any kind. I think mainly because I was able to do the things, the big things, you know, keep a job and whatnot um, that I needed to do. Uh, and so that allowed me, uh, it would seem, to conclude that everything was fine, but everything was not fine. I, I definitely had uh, an experience of issues with both depression and anxiety, although um, it did not, for me, go as far as to prevent me from getting out of bed or prevent me from um, getting up and going to work. It was just like a a gray cloud that followed me everywhere I went, but I was still able to go. You know, it sounds a lot like um, part of my life. In the early part of my life, I was a runner, and it was go, 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 go. And we talked about that on an earlier show, you know, this frantic energy that we have to corral and, and aim in a particular direction. And I think it's related uh, to this. Uh, I was running away from feelings. I was running just trying to make myself feel uh, purposeful and, you know, keeping a job. And I often had two jobs at the same time. And it, it, was, it kept me from feeling hopeless, and I think that's really what was at the, at the underneath of my um, depression at that point in time was that I just felt hopeless. I couldn't change anything. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't make a difference. And it, it brought me to a point uh, at one point in, in my life, actually at more than one point in my life, where I was at a place of, is this all there is? Is this mm. all there is uh, to life? You know, I have all the shiny things. You know, the nice house, the nice car, the good job, the good relationship, yada, yada, yada. And is this all there is? There's a big disconnect there. Something's wrong. Yeah, I've heard that described as, or what I think you're pointing at, and, and for me, this is, is most definitely it, that that God-shaped hole in the middle of who I was. You know, that's a concept that I first encountered in, in a recovery program. Uh, that never occurred to me. I didn't realize that there was even such a thing as that. But when I heard that, I knew that that was, a, for me personally, that was a really good description of what my life had been like. And, and I, like you're sharing, um, certainly had a, a job and a house and uh, a marriage and many wonderful things. And I have no complaints about any of those things. It, it's just that... Um, without the inner spiritual connection for me and without the inner emo the inner emotional supports that i have found go along with uh that spiritual connection then you know that kind of god-shaped hole uh becomes a weight it's almost like a weight that i have to carry around and and I, looking back on it, I, I feel like I was definitely carrying too much weight around um, in that way. But like I said, I, I didn't know it, but it, it consumed a lot of energy. I know that. It consumed a lot of energy to keep up um, living uh, without those internal supports that I only later uh, came to be aware of. You know, I've been, um, I was diagnosed in my 30s in, with clinical depression, and I was, um, 
I was just astounded because I didn't know what was wrong, as I had described. I had um, been looking for all my answers on the outside. I knew that something wasn't right. And uh, actually some things um, transpired in the work environment and such that pointed me toward the need for counseling. And through that, I was diagnosed with this clinical depression. And I had such a sense of isolation, a sense of brokenness, a sense of unworthiness, and as if I were not good enough. I mean, my already somewhat low self-esteem just plummeted with somebody outside of me confirming that, yes, I've got this problem. And I remember it took me weeks and weeks and weeks to share this with my mom. And when I did, she said, oh, well, I've been on medication for 30 years. <laughs> and then I was mad. Yeah. You know? But I did not understand that there was, um, in some cases, just like with addiction, in some cases, there is a biological connection, a heredity uh, type of connection with these kinds of disorders as well. Absolutely. Um, and I'm already beginning to think ahead. I won't yet start talking about the solution as I found it, but uh, what I do know is that uh, for me personally, my experiences with depression and anxiety were not a simple or linear thing. You know, there's, it's not just like one thing was out of whack and if I could just fix that one thing, then everything would be fine. I found it to be, you know, as complex as inter and interconnected as, as life itself is. And um, it was... Uh, you know, thinking back, it was a journey, a journey of um, the progress over time to move out of it. Um, it was, yeah, it was quite a thing. But I'm remembering now, and we're, of course, focusing now on what was that experience like. And I have many, many friends who uh, share similar uh, stories and experiences as I do, and most of the people that I know um, through uh, recovery communities um, can uh, share their own stories that are remarkably similar to some of the things that we're saying. Yeah, and I think there's a difference between depression as common uh, vernacular. Oh, something happened. I'm depressed. Yeah. You know? And this um, this state of being that... Um, the the some of the recovery literature calls this this bitter morass, you know, this quicksand, um, this this bewilderment, loneliness, um, despair, and and all of that that kind of a deep feeling like you're in a deep dark hole, mm -hmm. basically. And I think that there's a difference in that. I expect today, I expect to go through periods of feeling down, but periods, not as a way of life. Yes. And at that point in time, it was a way of life for me. I did not understand that. I thought it was just the way life was. Um, I would I would have patterns of depression. One of them was on Mondays. I was never in a good mood on Monday. It was always terrible on Monday. Um, I had a rotten attitude at work. I worked for my best friend. And at one point in time, she told me she was looking for a way to fire me. But she couldn't because I did my work just perfectly, you know, but I was not pleasant to be around. I was not a supportive team player or any of those kind of things. I recognize today that depression had a big piece of it. 
And another piece of that, of course, was in my active using, that was a hangover day, you know, and so you use an, you use a depressant to solve depression. Now, how much sense does that make? Yeah, I remember um, speaking with a therapist at one point, kind of, I'll just say, you know, somewhere in the middle of my active addiction, who pointed out that very thing, you know, alcohol is depressant and you're telling me that you're feeling down and, and depressed. And, uh, I'm not dumb. I knew what she was saying, but, uh, I didn't care. I mean, because there was no way that I was going to stop drinking. I mean, that just what wasn't even, uh, a consideration. It wasn't a viable solution at all. But also, as I'm, I'm hearing you say, I know that I was self-medicating. You know, we are all, each of us, just trying to find our way in this world, being, being brought into it, as we say, without a manual, um, trying to find our way in the world. And just for whatever reason, biology, family, um, particular situations, particular twists and turns in my experience growing up, for whatever reason, I found myself to be carrying this, what I think of as this weight of depression and anxiety. And I, I know I absolutely was looking for anything that could help me feel better in the world. And alcohol certainly fit that description for a long time. And I did the same thing. And continued to look for other things, another job, another relationship, an, a geographic move. You know, there were always something, something outside of me that would make me feel better for a while, Yeah. you know, and, and, uh, but nothing lasted. Alcohol wasn't the problem. Alcohol was the solution, at least for a long time. Or as I, uh, as I like to say, as I've heard it, it worked, it works till it doesn't. And, uh, you know, for quite a while there, I'm going to talk about getting into decades, it worked. It worked seemingly just fine. Um, but uh, what I think uh, happened or what I, know, what I know happened for me was that um, any solution that really at its core is me trying to cover up an issue is at some point going to fall apart and fail. And I will then uh, be in a place where I need to uh, deal with whatever it is, the underlying issue, whatever's driving this depression and anxiety in me, deal with that directly. And that is um, exactly what happened. That's really what happened for me as well. I was diagnosed with depression long before I got into recovery. I was told, uh, I was put on medication. I was told, don't drink. That lasted about two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and then, And then I had one beer. Nothing happened. And so then I had a couple more and nothing happened. And pretty soon I was just back at it like I had been before, yep. you know, because nothing happened. And it took me another seven years to hit the place where I was willing to do something different. And for me, what that looked like was I had to get to those underlying causes and conditions that you're talking about. And for me, they were um, family of origin issues. That, that was what I had spent my life to that point running away from. I have parallel experiences, and, and we are talking about addiction in general. Uh, alcohol is my kind of my primary um, uh, addiction, and and what got me into recovery programs. But I have other addictions, and one of them, uh, again, lifelong nicotine 
And I can really um, identify with what you're saying because I've known for a long time that uh, tobacco products are not healthy for me. Um, and I even quit using them for an eight-year period of time. But uh, when I got sober, I started smoking again. And that was no surprise to anyone but me. I was like, that's weird. I wonder what where that came from. And everyone around me just smiled. They know. But it took me eight years of smoking in sobriety in order to put the nicotine down. And uh, that's just what you were sharing there reminded me so much that, you know, it's we will do things when it's time um, and it's remarkable and shocking sometimes how long we can continue on a path um, and how long it can take to kind of find our way through it and, and get ourselves on the other side. I think that's a really good point. And I, I know it's reflected in unity literature and it's reflected in um, recovery literature that the intellect can have this idea and we're not ready yet. We have not accepted it. We're, we've not become convinced to our innermost selves of whatever this idea is. And we may make an effort. We may put some energy toward it. We may try to make some changes. But as one of my sponsors says, you can't hear it till you hear it. Absolutely. I know that uh, just the way I was wired, and I don't know if this is a result of my kind of addiction-oriented biology or a driver of it, I have no idea. But I did not like to be dependent on others for anything. I, my mantra, in a sense, was I'll do it myself. I can do it myself. Just leave me alone, and I'll do it myself. And I just slogged through down times, you know, got up, did what I had to do, uh, and come home. But uh, I was not open to suggestions. Um, I didn't want to hear uh, any solutions that were difficult, painful, or involved um, having to interact with other people too much, you know, on, a, on an emotional level, uh, for sure. So, yeah, I wasn't ready till I was ready. I didn't want to hear about it. Well, and I think isolation is another big problem. You know, we're lonely, so we isolate. You know, I mean, that's some more of that crazy thinking, um, you know, but and I, I drank and partied and all of that to feel a part of and yet I would isolate. And so, you know, I think that this feeling of disconnection that you talked about with this hole in your soul um, just permeated my life. Yeah, um, I, I, I see that in myself. I feel that also. Um, in my experience. And um, yeah, time takes time, we say. And uh, I'm absolutely, I mean, still to this day, I really can't hear something until I'm ready to hear it. And that's fine. I mean, I don't think that in itself is a problem. Um, it's more for me an explanation of, um, you know, why, why does my progress look like it looks related to, you know, spiritual growth, addiction, recovery, any, anything in life. And it's because I can only really take on that which, um, you know, resonates with me in that particular time. And fortunately, and again, this is the power of the group, the power of the community, whether it be uh, the 12 step or the church or both or group of friends or what have you, is that those opportunities, I'm constantly being presented with them as I'm in 
community with people who are discussing them. But let's say, let's, how about if we move into the uh, solution, as we know is important in a recovery program. So we, we know that the challenge is feeling down or, or depressed or anxious. Um, what is a way we could move out of that and into a life of vitality and purpose? Well, I think that there's lots of ways. And in unity, um, one of the ways is that we affirm that the presence of the divine within each of us empowers us with the ability to energize and revitalize all that we encounter. And this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the power of life, one of unity's 12 powers. Yeah, and unity co-founder Charles Fillmore defined these 12 skills or abilities that all people have. And he called them, the quote, the 12 powers. And each of them can function as a spiritual tool that we can use to change our lives for the better. And so another thing that he said about those is that they're always in use. Yeah. You know, we're alive, whether we like it or not at the moment. You know, we have this spark of life within us. And so we can direct that. And so the power that can help us with feeling down or lethargic is this, this power of life. It's what we want to focus on. It's how are we using it? What yes. And, it? and as you say, and I have found this again in my own experience, there, there's not a, a one-size-fits-all. There's not a single solution to something that's as complex as our, our, my internal emotional landscape. But... Um, I have found in my experience that um, what this, the Unity 12 power, power of life, what that is pointing at has been a valuable and powerful source of change for me. Can you say more about that? Well, I think when I look back, even at the time in active addiction, um, you know, I, I was not a, um, oh, how to say this? My life was not kind of a one-size-fits-all. You know, each of us is a complex being. And uh, although it was absolutely the case that I experienced uh, depression and anxiety in general, you know, sometimes better or worse than others, um, I was also had the ability to get up and do what needed doing at the time. And so even then I was aware that somewhere in me was a tremendous power uh, of vitality that could, um, when my interest was engaged, you know, if I thought of something that was really fascinating that I wanted to understand, or if I thought of a project or an idea that I thought would be fun, I, I, I had the ability to um, l allow that power of life to rise up in me and get me going down that path. Now, at the same time, um, whenever I did that, which was fairly often, um, I paid a significant price uh, emotionally um, as a kind of backlash for um, getting out there and putting myself out in the world and um, using and expressing all that uh, energy and, and vitality. Um, and so it was became this roller coaster. And I knew it when, when I was doing it, but um, I, I take it as, a, you know, a form of divine discontent or being pulled or pushed by spirit to um, keep trying 
you know, to keep allowing the spirit to show up in my life in the form of this vitality, this power of life that we're talking about. And so, you know, it's not as if uh, it was all one thing and then all another thing. Uh, even in active addiction, I was aware, looking back and using the power of life, um, even then, uh, it's just that it, the, the mix changed over times, if you will. Oh, that was a very long answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a very simple way to look at, at the power of life, for, how am I using the power of life, for me, is to ask myself the question, to what am I giving energy? Mm. And when I simplify it to that level, I'm giving, am, am I giving energy to worrying, to fear, to anxiety, to, to, oh my gosh, there's not enough time, to all of that kind of negative thinking? Or am I giving energy to planning and organizing and, and sequencing and figuring out what's next? And of course, I had lived in the former you know, the fear and the anxiety and the depression and all of that. And so I had a well-worn groove there mm. and it took a lot of effort to switch that. And it didn't happen overnight, just like you're saying. And I remember laying in bed, not being able to get out of bed. This was after I was, had my cancer surgeries and such, and just saying, God, please help me get out of bed, <laughs> you know, over and over because, and then I could get out of bed, but I had to consciously, intentionally redirect that energy in a different direction than what I had been spending it on. Yes. And, and, and I suppose um, a shorter version of, of what I just shared is that I experienced that power of life in me from time to time and could even call on it from time to time. But it was not the dominant um, force uh, within me. It, it was sort of a maybe more of a sideline, and there was so much more going on uh, than that um, that was that kind of put me on that roller coaster, you know, that cycle of down and then get excited about something and get out in the world and then, you know, as an introvert, uh, just feeling like, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. I should just be quiet and stay at home and everything will be fine instead of getting out in the world and trying to get things done. You know, one of the life-changing things about the 12 powers for me was to realize two things. One is that they're always in motion, whether I'm conscious of it or not. And the second one is, is I have a choice about it when I become conscious. And in, in using my choice is where I have the ability to change my life. And so how am I going to use this energy that is called life, this energy within me called life? Yeah, I love that point of view, and I guess my takeaway from this is I am so grateful that that power is within me. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. 
If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer, or call 816-969-2000. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment. Unity founder Charles Fillmore is quoted as saying, Here is a mental treatment guaranteed to cure every ill. Sit for half an hour every night and mentally forgive everyone against whom you have any ill will. The act of forgiveness is powerful medicine. Is there someone in your life that you can work on forgiving? Try this exercise tonight. To forgive is to set yourself free. Find out more about Unity at unity.org. Would you like to experience more peace and joy in your life through A Course in Miracles? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley support you in discovering the powerful life lessons available through this unique spiritual thought system that teaches the way to love and peace is through forgiveness. Join Jennifer every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for A Course in Miracles, living the love, walking the talk, to experience the healing for yourself on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today, and if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We're going to resume our discussion in just a moment, but first we want to let you know that we're opening the lines for callers. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. So just prior to the break, we were discussing this whole thing called depression 
this lethargy, this being down that so many of us have, have lived with uh, in, our, in our addiction and recovery. And we were ta- started beginning to talk about this solution, this power of life, one of the 12 powers. So Dan, since we know that this is a real challenge, is feeling down or lethar- lethargic, and that this solution can be the power of life, how exactly can we use this to come back to create a life of vitality, purpose, and a life that's worth living? Well, uh, again, as we know that this is one approach, and and because we are complex and multifaceted beings, uh, I think our solutions are as well. But I know for me that um, I began to take to live my life in a way that was much more what I would call on purpose, um, and using the power of life that that power of vitality in me to drive. Um, you know, kind of a, a passion, a new direction, a, an area of focus, if you will. I like to think of it as uh, a mountaintop. Um, I, I like the image of a mountaintop because it helps me to um, remember that no matter what's going on in my life around me, if if I am um, choosing to live my life on purpose, then uh, if I get disoriented or, or when I wake up in the morning, I just have to look around me. And when I see the mountain in the distance, I'll know, okay, right, that's, that's where I'm going. And so one way that I use the power of life is to, to drive some energy into that uh, point of view, to living my life with what I call um, much more on purpose, which can be as simple as just choosing something. Choosing something to do or to focus on or to be good at, uh, some kind of goal, something that when I wake up in the morning, I think, okay, you know, I'm, I can be excited about learning more about this or, or getting better at that or, or whatever it might be. I'm going to go back to early recovery. For me, I, did, I had no idea this is what I was doing with the power of life. But I can see in retrospect that it was. I was making a deliberate choice, just like you explained of living your life on purpose. I'm making a deliberate choice. Today, I am willing to follow directions. Today, I am willing to seek guidance. Today, I am willing to do something that is uncomfortable and seemingly unnatural to me. And I didn't have any idea, of course, starting this path that I was that that's where it was going to take me. But these things looked like um, these these conscious, deliberate, intentional choices. I had so many choices to make and I had no clue where to start. And the guidance of the group was so helpful to me because they said, okay, you can't do anything if you haven't taken care of yourself. And they gave me a tool called HALT, Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. Mm. Don't try to pay your bills if you're hungry. Because you'll get all emotionally distraught about it, and then, you know, you you can't think because you're feeling and, you know, all of that. And so I go, okay, first things first, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Have I done that? And then I would, you know, I would take care of those things. And and so then the next thing they said was the daily deal, you know, which is, have you asked in the morning to help with staying sober? Have you read your literature? Did you pray? Did you, you know, meditate? The whole thing, whatever it was, the litany of tasks. And that's where I had to start, Um, and which reminds me, one of the facets of the power of life is that life just grows. 
Life mm. just expands. Life does not make decisions. Life does not decide that it's going to do this or it's going to do that. It has to be guided. And I understand that now. And so I was getting the guidance for my life from the group, from the power of the group uh, at that point. And I can see how that guidance from the group kind of gave direction to that power of life that's in you. Because, of course, the power of life is in you and in me and in all of us. And I know for me that realizing that or feeling that, even if I didn't have the language around it, um, helped me a great deal to know that, you know, that I could do it, whatever it was. I, I, took, I took heart in all of the recovering and recovered people around me in the, in the recovery community uh, to realize, you know, I can do this too. And that, that became a focus. You know, I talked about living my life more on purpose. Well, one of the clear and early purposes was uh, I'm going to live a sober life. Not only am I going to do that each day, I'm going to learn what that means. I'm going to meet people who have been doing it. I'm going to, you know, put myself in the middle of it to really just soak in what what is this whole life of recovery thing? What does it look like? Um, everything about it that that became early on for me a purpose, and because I could feel that vitality in me, I knew it was there. Um, that I knew I could do it. I remember early on um, uh, some of the people I was around, and I, I did I did a four week rehab program. I know some of us have, and some of us haven't. But in my four week rehab program, I encountered um, a lot of folks, some of whom were there for the nth time, you know, seventh time, fourth time in rehab, and I would just remember being aghast, like what? You, what, wh why would you do this twice? I'm thinking now, yes, I was saying that and, and I know that that was a judgment on them, but let me bring it back to myself. What I was also saying is I am not doing this twice. You know, there's no way. And, and I had, uh, people around me who have very bad attitudes about 12 step programs and they don't work and it's a cult and da da da. And just all that kind of sickness that we have when we're active addicts, you know, bringing that into the recovery community. And I remember someone saying, you know, statistically only 5% of people who do 12 step pro and I, I, this is made up as far as I know are going to succeed. And I thought, Oh, well, I'll be one of the 5% then. And then later, someone told the same story, except now it was 3%. I'm like, ooh, my stock is rising. Now I'm going to be a member of the elite 3% to make it. My point is, I was going to do this. Uh, the, that energy was already showing up in me. When I put alcohol down, the life energy sort of rushed in to the point where I didn't even know what to do with it. Um, but an early focus, an early purpose for me was, I'm going to do this recovery thing Whatever it might be, I don't even understand. I'm going to do this. And that kept me going for a long time. Yes, you made a decision. Yes, and yes, I had you, the energy to pursue it. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, and I think for me, that was, that was um, kind of, I was really, I prided myself on being decisive before I got into the program. Just ask me. I'll tell you what to do <laughs> and how to do it and when you know, and, and how well, et cetera, et cetera. And so when I got into the program and all of a sudden I had all of these choices that had never been on the table before. Um, I had options 
that I didn't understand because I'd never exercised them before uh, in a way that I could understand that. I was baffled. You know, I, I had to have a lot of guidance and I felt confused and disoriented and um, isolated and alone for a long time um, because it, was, it, was, it had to be the guidance that somebody else had to help me make my choices. In a, as a matter of fact, I was probably three years in the program and my sponsor in um, frustration one day said to me, Lonnie, when are you going to make your own decisions? <laughs> Because I was always getting a group decision or a collaborative decision. or And, of course, I recognize that today as the other side of my disease, my codependency. I don't want to disappoint somebody. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to, you know, look bad and, and all of those kinds of things that, that feed into it as well. So it was part of my illness as well. But, um, yeah, having to make a decision, I think that is the first point. I'm going to do this. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, looking back on it, that that was my approach because, you know, I suppose I could have had a negative attitude. Uh, that's really not my way, though. So, you know, I don't want to say it's impossible, but um, I'm just very grateful that I that I chose. You know, I, I did what uh, the program saying that we have stick with the winners. You know, I found the people for whom it was working because I want it to work for me. And so that was how... Uh, that was one thing I was able to point my life energy at as a, you know, a goal, a purpose, a, a project, if you will, that really helped me going. Another thing I found that, that really helped me to release what felt like pent up energy. You know, I, I spent a lot of my life energy um, managing and um, doing my addiction behaviors. And so when I stopped doing those things, uh, a certain amount of energy was released. And I found that even more of my life energy was released when I became willing to unburden myself. Uh, for example, you know, the easy example is uh, the fifth step in, a, in the 12-step program. The fifth step is a great example and a, um, a perfect illustration of being us being willing to unburden ourselves of some things so that 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 life energy that I know at least for me unbeknownst I didn't realize how much energy I was spending um, maintaining uh, these in what were at the time invisible burdens until I I worked the steps with a sponsor and was able to let some of those things go. And then I had even more energy on my hands, which can be a mixed blessing, um, but it, it was definitely life-changing for me. And it definitely helped move me out of those feelings of lethargy and depression. I have all this energy now, and I have a purpose. Stay sober. So the next decision that I can recall on this path was whether I was going to live my life out of love or out of fear. Which one was I going to allow to guide this energy, this life energy? And I can remember very clearly the day that I was asked that question. And I, it was put to me this way. You can decide to trust everybody and occasionally be hurt uh, or disappointed when somebody breaks that trust. Or you can decide to distrust everybody and be surprised when somebody's trustworthy. 
which way do you want to live your life? And this was when I was struggling with that depression. And I made the decision, the choice, again, that I was going to live my life to expend this life energy in the direction of love. Now, that didn't mean I liked everybody, but it meant love, do loving things, think loving thoughts, uh, give people the benefit of the doubt, uh, because the other piece of that for me was judgment. And I had a really, really good judgment system. You know, I mean, most of us survivors do. Uh, it's what kept us alive and on, you know, uh, moving forward in our lives and everything. But, um, but it was not serving me when it would, at a moment's notice, take a glance at somebody and make this whole story, this whole judgment about whether they were safe or unsafe, trustworthy, untrustworthy, lovable, unlovable, etc. And so I had to make a conscious decision and then practice it that I want to live my life out of love, not out of fear. Yeah, I love that approach because that, uh, I can feel in what you're sharing. The way that uh, making that decision, and once again, uh, you know, I put it in terms of, of having a purpose, but making a decision is how, you know, how do I want this to be? Where am I going to put my life energy? I think that's always an open question for for any of us, but particularly those of us in addiction recovery. How am I going to aim, you know, or where am I going to aim or direct my life energy? Another way I've heard that same question put is what kind of world do you want to live in? And I was just hearing you answer that. Do you want to live in a world where everyone uh, cannot be trusted and you've got to kind of assume that everyone's out to get you or, or untrustworthy? Or do you want to live in a world where everyone is generally trustworthy? Yes, of course, there are going to be exceptions to that. But what kind of world do you want to live in? And th I, that question drove me early on. It drove um, my, you know, the sense of, of being on purpose with my life, of of having a focus that was uplifting, and you know it became over time helpful, service oriented. What am I doing for other people? Became part of that question of what am I doing with my life energy? What kind of world do I want to live in? I have a teacher who would say to me, um, "I want to live in a world where sprites and fairies are real creatures." And so that's what I'm doing. I don't care what you think. I don't care if it's true or not. I'm living in a world that has sprites and fairies in it. And they love me and they support me in everything that I do. And I'm like, that is awesome. I'm not with you, but I get what you're saying. What kind of world do I want to live in? So you just spoke to... Um, moving from, you know, I, first I spoke about the halt, which was kind of a physical thing. What am I doing physically for mm. myself? And a little bit of emotional with the, with the angry part, the angry, lonely part. You know, how am I dealing with my physical and my emotional world? And the next part, when I was talking about guided by love or fear, is really moving into a thinking pattern mental process um, and making choices about that. And so the next step that I feel like I took was making a decision again to live according to spiritual principles, which is more about spiritual development and guided by, by uh, ideas rather than uh, physical or, or mental processes. And the one that was my guiding light for what kind of a world do I want to live in is how, H-O-W, mm. honest, 
open-minded, willing. How do I function in this world that I want to live in that I want to be guided by love? You know, I have to get honest with myself. What's going on with me? Am I in fear and love is just an idea? You know, what am I afraid of? And I had to go down that path and work on that. Open-minded, you know, we talked in a previous uh, show about stubbornness, about uh, the power of strength, about how we hold on to things, whether it's old ideas or old behaviors or old patterns or whatever. I had to get open-minded about there might be a different way. There might be a different way of looking at this. There might be a different way of doing this. There might be a different process that I need to explore for me. For example, with meditation, we've talked about that before. And the last one was willing. I had to get at least 51% willing to try the new idea. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so that, I think, gave me the next step in the how do I direct this energy of life that we're talking about. I like that, and, and I also use that um, way of seeing that H-O-W how to, you know, partly to assess where I am. Am I being honest? Am I being open-minded? Am I being willing uh, in this or that time? But also, I think for me, that's a great answer to what kind of world do I want to live in. I want to live in a world where generally that's what people are doing. Generally, people... Uh, are honest and open-minded and willing to grow and to change. And so when that becomes what I look for, that becomes what I find. Now, yes, of course, there are exceptions to that. I'm, I'm not arguing about the makeup of the world. What I am saying is how I am choosing to look at it. What am I going to look for first? I'm going to look for honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness first. Um, and also, I'm I'm with you on that, uh, you know, if I'm answering that question, how am I going to aim or use my life energy, um, spirituality and a God connection became foremost and remained foremost and are to this day the center of my worldview and the way that I uh, choose to look at the world and to do things. And that was a decision. Now, I don't remember a particular moment you know, the, the clouds didn't open and there was no chorus of angels that I recall. Um, but at some point along the way, I made a decision that I was going to live my life um, guided by spiritual principles, guided by uh, a connection to this thing I call God that I don't understand, and make those things central to and, and foremost in my life. So that that path of, of spirituality and God connection, if you will, um, became that that mountain that I spoke of. You know, if if all else fails, I can remember. You know, what am I here to do? Who am I here to be? Uh, what's going on? Oh, um, I am here to live a life that is God centered and spiritual. And then, okay, well, what does that mean for today? And it begins to open up and turn into um, again my purpose or focus or direction for my life energy. Again, I needed direction. <laughs> and, you know, in, in the literature, it talks about how our purpose becomes to be of service, to serve God in the world and the world, people in the world. Yeah. And so then that became my introduction to service work, to what does that mean? You know, I, I first started with the instruction that this is what I needed to do. And then I learned how to express love through service, which then brought it into alignment with my purpose 
uh, in life with my desire to live honest, open-minded, and willing um, at that point in time. And so I have found that for me, the shift happened in, in the, uh, at the point of service. I can do something because I was told to. That's not service. I can do something because I feel obligated. That's not service. I, do, I can do something because there's nobody else to do it. That's not service. But I can do something because I make a decision that that is where I want to expend my life energy and it serves my needs and that's more in alignment with service. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know that for me there was a progression over time in recovery about um, you know how what was I focused on thinking about self and others. And I think that it is good and right and healthy at first uh, in recovery to focus on self. Um, I think it's essential. Like your example with HALT, I can't do for you if I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. I first need to assess what is going on with me so that I can get myself in a place where I can be of service and not be a burden on others um, in the name of service. So it was a progression over some years. And what I've encountered most recently is um, the desire to serve just for the sake of being in community with others, of uh, sharing ideas and, you know, things that have worked, uh, perspectives, practices, um, in community with others and, and creating a, an environment where all of us who are within it, so I'm describing a community, uh, church community is one that I have in mind, recovery community, equal, uh, fits the same. Um, creating a, a container, you know, a place, an environment where um, everyone is supported by everyone else, that that's, how, you know, that's the idea, that's how it works. And that we can grow and heal and change and um, sort of learn how to live in right relation to one another, you know, to the physical planet, to our concept of God, whatever that might be along the way. I think early on, uh, I was more oriented to what can I do for me? I think that was fine at the time. That morphed into what can I do for us? What can we do for us? And for me, it's been a balance because I've shared in earlier um, shows about the struggle to, to understand the difference between helping and heroing, between fixing and service. And um, with, with the other half of my disease process being um, the codependency piece, that is something that I have to evaluate all the time. Am I, why am I doing this? What is my motive? Mm. You know, and it's not, do I have a good motive or a bad motive? It's, do I know my motive? Because otherwise I'm driven again by these unconscious, unexamined ideas that these old ideas that I hold that are, are just the way that I show up in the world. Is that the way I want to show up? I have to make a decision about that. I have to look at that. Absolutely. 
And so let's shift gears a little bit now, uh, Lonnie, and move into action. We know that Unity's fifth principle states that it's not enough to know these truths. They're great ideas. It's not enough to know them. We must live them. And that means we must each take action in order to grow in recovery. So here's something that you, if you're listening, can do this week to move from feeling down or lethargic or depressed to a life of vitality and purpose using the power of life. So what we do is we use a tool that we call a denial. And this is a statement of power that denies any power to the feeling that we're having, the one of depression or feeling down. Now, we're not saying that we don't feel that way, but we're saying that this experience does not control us, does not define us. So you could say something like, this feeling of depression is not the truth of who I am. And then you'd repeat it a few times, either in your head or aloud, and say it with conviction. Feeling down is not the truth of who I am. And we follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So I could say divine life force flows through me, empowering me to heal and recharge. And then as always, after denial and affirmation, we take a few moments just to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. And then we give thanks for a new experience in the world and move on with your day. So again, that denial and affirmation tool that we're sharing, denial, feeling down is not the truth of who I am and the affirmation. Divine life flows through me, empowering me to heal and recharge. So we've come to the end of our time together today, and we hope that what we've shared can help you on your recovery path, and we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to our listeners and to our callers. And thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights that were shared today in our discussion. Listeners, if you would like to, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.